Your weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone. And I'm Joan Hamburg. Alex Prudham, who's a writer. You've read his books. He's gotten bestsellers everywhere. In fact, he's the co-author of Julia Child's memoir, My Life in France. And he has done many successful books. Lives here in our own backyard in the area. And I loved reading his latest work, Dinner with the President. Food, politics, and a history of breaking bread in the White House. And every president is different. Different habits, different foods, different tastes. And what's the effect on all of this between what goes on in the world? Much more than many of us have thought. And it's so much fun to read about whom these presidents from way back chose to break bread with over a table and the things that they did and the impact that food and dinners and guests invited to White House dinners and the influence, how this affected and could affect food and policy everywhere. So, Alex, congratulations. And I'm curious, what brought up your latest book, Dinner with the President? Well, Joan, it's great to be here with you. Um, yeah, I grew up in a foodie family, including Julia Child. She was my great aunt, and uh, she and her husband were diplomats during World War II, uh, right after World War II. And we used to sit around the table talking about history and politics and arguing and having a good time. Uh, so I grew up in this kind of family where food and politics were combined. And then when I was working with Julia on her memoir, My Life in France, I learned that she spent quite a bit of time at the White House and she actually made two television documentaries about state dinners, which are very important meals for foreign leaders. And and then I took a, a I was in 2016. I was at the Obama White House giving a talk about a book I wrote on water called The Ripple Effect. And a friend there uh, took me to lunch at the Navy Mess uh, down on the ground floor of the White House. And then he gave me a, a quick private tour of the, the presidential mansion. And it just kind of blew my mind to be there in those hallways in those rooms that you've seen in pictures. Uh, uh, I saw the, the kitchen at work. I peeked into the Oval Office. I could see Mrs. Obama's garden out the window. And it just made history come alive. And it made me think that, you know, there, there's a real connection between food and the presidency that we that everybody overlooks. Um, and uh, so I started work on the book in 2018. And, and um, you know, I, I was halfway through it when COVID hit, and uh, that slowed me down a bit. But I got it done. It came out this past February, right around President's Day. Uh, and it's been, a, it's been a blast talking about it because there's this connection uh, that a lot of people have over food. That, that, and we don't always think of it as a political subject, but it is. And um, some presidents understand how to use food in an intelligent way for politics and diplomacy. Others do not. And so it's, it's full of uh, fun and interesting stories. Right. And even reading about the First Ladies, whose use and understanding of food and how they entertained and the impact that that had, not only socially but politically, too, was fascinating to hear about. Yeah, well, that was one of the themes that I wanted to bring out in the book is actually how important the first ladies are um, and how complicated they are as people. You know, we people tend to think of the uh, the first lady uh, as a as a sort of a 
an addition to the president, but really the, the first lady position is a job, and it's not paid. Uh, it's increasingly been politicized, uh, and it's really important. Um, and some women seem to love it. Um, you know, the most right. famous is probably Dolly Madison or Jackie Kennedy, but a lot of women, like Bess Truman, hated it, uh, and apparently Melania Trump, too. I mean, she's just disappeared on us. So, uh, And then you have other people like Nancy Reagan or um, Hillary Clinton who have kind of mixed feelings about it. So it's very interesting to see the role they played in setting up the White House kitchen, hiring the chefs, planning the menus, uh, and what kind of impact they have behind the scenes, like uh, – when Rosalind Carter helped uh, Jimmy Carter uh, with the Camp David Accords between uh, Israel and Egypt, right. uh, where food played a role. So it's, you know, it leads you in a lot of different directions. That's for sure. And you started way back. I mean, you really got information that most of us have never heard or knew about. So was it hard getting the research, starting with Abe Lincoln? Well, actually, I start with George Washington George and Martha Washington, Washington right. and I do just 26 of the 46 presidents. Uh, each chapter is slightly different. Some are long, some are short. Um, try to mix it up, keep it interesting. Um, it was actually really fun, and, and I've never written on the presidency before, and what you quickly realize is there's a, just a tsunami wave of information about them. Um, but nobody had done this book before where I look at the food of politics and the politics of food. Um, and, you know, the earlier presidents, there's less information than there are on the more recent presidents. Um, but I was able to um, meet a lot of very helpful, helpful researchers. I spent some time at the not only the White House, but at the presidential homes where they have lots of uh, information. And I, I had to decide what not to use, because uh, the, each president has an interesting food story. And I, I decided to focus on the presidents that are the best known, um, because I wanted to reach a wide audience, but also um, the stories, the food stories that made uh, the biggest difference and that were most impactful, um, including food policy, but, but you know more often just sort of big events that happened around meals. Right, and plenty did. And so interesting for those of us who are peeking in to read about Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford and how they sort of grew up and the foods that they ate and as they came of age and into their own, what happened and the influence that they had on entertaining and on everything else and the people who surrounded them in places like the White House. Yeah, no, these, it, it, you know, you look at a guy like Dwight Eisenhower, known as Ike. Uh, he's a guy who grew up in Abilene, Kansas. Uh, uh, he was a farm boy, and his, uh, he learned to cook as an, at an early age. He was, he was uh, taught by an illiterate woodsman who, who taught him how to, you know, uh, fry up his, the trout he caught or, uh, or bake the quail he, he shot. Um, and he just... Ike loved to cook, and uh, he would feed his family. Uh, when he was a five-star general during World War II, he made sure his troops were well-fed, uh, and that gave us an advantage over the Germans during the D-Day invasion because our troops were better fed. Um, and then, um, you know, he became the president of Columbia University, where 
the thing he was most famous for was he uh, he contributed uh, his mother's recipe for a two-day vegetable soup, which is just a kind of a, a fantastic uh, uh, soup that I've made and, and fills your house full of wonderful aromas. And then as president, you know, he um, he was constantly cooking. He was, you know, he would do a, what's called an Eisenhower steak, which is where you put the steak right in the burning coals and you just sear it on the outside. It's a really easy pretty and good. delicious dish. <laughs> yeah, and here's a guy who was a, a general and a president, and he was giving out uh, his uh, – Pancake recipes, you know, so he was just a very unusual guy, but it, it sort of tells you a lot about him and, and the way he used food in his politics, too. Yeah, and I loved reading about the state dinners, particularly the time when Nixon spilled the soup. <laughs> yeah, well, Nixon's another one of those guys who, uh, you know, he, for every single lunch, he would have a little dollop of cottage cheese either on a pineapple ring or like with a little squirt of ketchup on it. Mm. Uh, and he would pair that with a glass of skim milk. Uh, and it was very plain. It was healthy, but, you know, not so interesting. But uh, this same guy went to China in 1972 and had this famous uh, what he called chopstick diplomacy, where he he secretly learned how to use chopsticks because he was not a coordinated man, but he practiced for weeks and he gets over there, and they serve this elaborate banquet um, with all sorts of exotic foods that were definitely not cottage cheese. Um, but he knew the cameras were on him, and so he he went toe-to-toe uh, with uh, Premier Zhou Enlai, uh, eating the exotic foods and, and also drinking uh, a very powerful alcohol that they called Mao Tai. Uh, and, and Nixon did not have a good head for booze, but... Um, you know, he, he understood the the image was important, um, and it was it was a huge success. It it um, it helped him to get reelected uh, in '72. It um, boxed out the Russians uh, from the geopolitical talks. It it opened China to Western commerce, uh, and it also accidentally set off a new craze for Chinese restaurants in America. So, you know. <laughs> There's an example of where one meal can have a huge impact, uh, and I just I, I love that kind of story. Without question, tell me about the Carters. Well, the Carters, um, you know, they were from Georgia, and uh, they specialized in in sort of down home cooking, as they called it. You know, they loved fried chicken and and beans and cornbread and uh, and greens, collard greens. Um, you know. It, Jimmy's brother Billy had a big farm, and and they and Jimmy and and Rosalind would would cook together, um, and they were very interested in food. Um, I think Jimmy is the second best cook after Eisenhower, but um, when it comes to the Camp David Accords, you know everybody told him that it would be impossible, quote unquote, to broker a peace between Israel and Egypt. Now this is 1978; things were very tense back then, and um, uh, so he gets them up to Camp David, and things are going badly. The, 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 the two uh, leaders will not talk to each other, so Jimmy's running back and forth between them. And then Rosalind has a brilliant idea, which is she decides that the delegates, the, center, the younger crew that were there, were kind of bored and hungry. So she, she put different foods in different rooms. So she put a little cheese dip in, in one room. She put some chocolate-dipped strawberries in another room. She put some drinks out on the porch. And it worked like a charm that the, the delegates all began to mingle together and they actually began to talk to each other. 
And it certainly helped to break down some of the barriers. And ultimately, at the 11th hour on the final day of the summit, um, Begin and Sadat uh, initialed the Camp David Accords, which ended up winning them the Nobel Peace Prize and and mm-hmm. has kind of remarkably stayed uh, intact ever since. Um, and that story, you know, is, is has particular relevance today with all of the of the uh, the tension over in, in the Middle East. And it's just uh, it shows you that you know you can't say that the food caused that that accord, but it certainly helped. And and that's the lesson. It's like this this human touch. And that's why state dinners are still important these days. Uh, you know, these days of the Internet, when people are thinking that state dinners, uh, which originally began with U.S. Grant back in 1874, yeah. they're still relevant because it's about getting these leaders together as human beings. And do people, when they go to these state dinners, come back and talk about the food? Sometimes they do. If they're kind of food-aware people, they do. Other times, uh, people get, you know, the guests get sort of overwhelmed by being in the White House, uh, and they forget uh, what they ate, um, and they forget who they spoke to at their table. Mm -hmm. And so the tradition is um, everybody gets a little copy of the menu, and it's usually beautifully presented and what you do is you get everybody at your table to sign the menu. Oh, that's a good and idea. And you pass it around. And I, it's a tradition that I like to do. Uh, and that way, the next day, you can remember who, who you were talking yeah, exactly. to and what you ate. <laughs> exactly. And, and the stories that get out, like the remember the original, I think you wrote about it in this, the Bill Clinton stories and the fast food during the beginning of his reign. For sure. I mean, you know, he came into the presidency as a as a, a major fast food consumer. He loved uh, McDonald's. He loved donuts. He loved, uh, you know, nachos piled with stuff. Uh, and he left uh, the White House uh, after some interventions by his wife as a vegetarian. And he ultimately became um, a vegan. Um, and along the way, he'd had several serious heart issues. Um, and he he said that you know his arteries were all bent and in ugly shape, and he he changed his diet, uh, started getting more exercise, and and as you've seen the photographs of him, he's really lost quite a lot of yeah, weight, and he looks good. much healthier. Um, and he, um, you know, he took it very seriously, and it just shows you you can change your diet, you can improve your health uh, by eating better food. Without question, and it must be frustrating to a lot of people who want to get on the coveted White House dinner list on various occasions it must be a tough thing oh it's 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 insanely competitive to to try to get in especially to a big state dinner like you know when nelson mandela came over and visited the clintons or um you know when when the reagans had uh prince charles and lady diana um and john travolta came out and danced with lady di i mean you you gotta remember those pictures it's just they sort of helped to define the whole 1980s you know um or when they held the the gorbachev said you know towards the end of the cold war and you know these were hugely important historical moments that that revolve around a meal and people were just uh climbing all over each other to try to get in there um but it's not easy um and um I, I was trying to get into a state dinner during the Trump years. Uh, they only had two state dinners uh, before COVID hit. I um, wasn't able to get in. So I ended up having my own state dinner. I hired a, a former White House chef, uh, John Mueller, um, and uh, we had four courses, uh, each of which has a story behind it. 
Um, and they, they were actually, you know, meals that were uh, dinners that were, uh, excuse me, uh, dishes that were served uh, at the White House. It was really good. I had 10 guests, each who had worked at the White House or were at the Washington Post or had, were historians of some kind. Good idea. And so I recreated a state dinner, and it was, and it was fabulous. Who cooked it? Uh, this guy named John Muller. He was a former White House chef. He had served uh, uh, under uh, three administrations. Um, he was the, the executive chef, the head chef, uh, for a little while. Um, and, uh, he's, he's a marvelous, uh, storyteller and he, uh, and, and obviously a very accomplished cook. And so we just had a great night doing that. Yeah, and how's the White House doing now food wise? It's doing pretty well. Um, you know, the, uh, Joe Biden is not a foodie per se. Um, he, he cooks, likes pasta he? and ice cream. <laughs> yeah, of course. He calls ice cream his performance enhancing drug, uh, <laughs> chocolate chip is his favorite. Um, but his wife, Jill Biden, um, is actually a very good cook. Uh, she uh, had Italian grandparents, mm -hmm. and every Sunday they would go to dinner at the grandparents, and they would make homemade pasta and beautiful braccioli and wow, delicious sauces. And so she grew up with that. And um, But he's also had uh, four state dinners so far. Uh, he plans to have more in 2024. Uh, so I'm going to keep trying to get invited. We'll see. Wish me luck. <laughs> yeah, it's very hard. How do you go? Th you go through whom to try to get well, on that list? Well, it's 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 a slightly mysterious process. Yeah, you know, I've gotten at this point, I've gotten some sources there, and I'm trying to work the different angles. But right, uh, even for someone like me who's been you know talking about this and working on this for several years, it's hard to get in. And written a lot of books, you have a lot of credentials, so you're not just yeah, you know, yeah, knocking exactly. on the door and Tell saying I'm Tell your friends in the White House to open their doors for me, will you? <laughs> yeah, without question. That has to be one of the great experiences, you know? Have and you to ever be, been? I've been to the White House. A bunch of us went, and we were through one of us, who was a big television personality. We were invited inside, but we had cookies and milk and given cookies and goodies to take home, but um, no dinner, no yeah. seat at the table, even though yeah. we would have loved that. Yeah, yeah, you know. I know the feeling. Yep. So, but we accepted the cookies with, well, a lot of, <laughs> with a lot of grace and had a really good time. But it must be even tougher to be a cook, a chef, to get on that list. Yeah, I mean, the cooks at the White House are really interesting. Um, some of them are kind of quiet and anonymous. Others are big personalities, almost as big as the, the presidents and first ladies. And there's, there's this kind of front of the house, back of the house thing that I love, which is, you know, you're with the president and the first lady in the state dining room, and everything is calm and serene, and the waiters are on point, and the food's coming out, and everybody's making conversation. Meanwhile, back in the kitchen, it's chaos, and it's a. The White House kitchen is quite small. It's only, uh, I think, it's about 22 feet uh, wide and 27 and a half feet long, and in that small space, they produce really wonderful meals. Um, and it's down in the ground floor, and they got to bring the meals up to the second floor where the state dining room is. So it, it you know, they got to move quickly so it doesn't get cold. The current chef is a, a, a Filipino woman, Christetta Comerford. Um, originally hired by the George W. Bushes, 
Um, she uh, trained in Manila and then in Chicago and then in Europe, and she's, she can do everything from a, a grilled cheese for W all the way up to a fabulous state dinner for the prime minister of India, uh, you know, uh, in, in the same day. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it's a very special kind of person who can do that. Um, the pay is not great for those right. cooks. Uh, they could make a lot more on the outside and, you know, with um, some fancy restaurant. But it's hard to replace the prestige exactly. uh, of the White House. It's probably the, you know, the number among one. the most be- the best places to eat in the world. So uh, and to there's be that invited, side of it. right? Yeah. No, it, it's and the stories are incredible. A dinner with the president. Alex did a great job. Food, politics, and history are breaking bread at the White House. Well, I hope that happens to you one day, so you can call us and give us a story. I I, I promise to do that. <laughs> yeah. That would be great. I hope so too. Well, and I hope it's with a very foodie president, so you get something yeah. delicious. Yeah, or a foodie first lady. I'll take that too. Yeah, well, that should be even better. Thank yeah. you, Alex. All the best to you. You're welcome, Joan. Great to talk with you. Thanks a bunch. I and, really enjoyed it. Uh, Thanks. And as Julia would say, bon appetit. <laughs> Thank you from your relative, Julia Child. And I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.